So let's make a blooper. I'm going to okay. go ahead and hit record. So this yeah. is where you basically say, hi, this is Udo from theudo.com, and you're listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. I have to say that? Yeah, you have to say all that. Yes. Okay. Whenever you're ready, hit it. Okay. Hi, I'm uh, Udo from uh, Udo's Choice and theudo.com, and you're on Vroom Vroom. Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer. You're on Vroom Vroom Veer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that that should be blooper enough. That's bloopery. That's perfectly bloopery. Yes. Uh, See, when you're trying to intentionally make a blooper, you can't really screw it up. The only way to screw it up is to not screw up. I don't have to try. I don't have to try. (laughs) It comes so naturally to me. (laughs) Me too. I have a special talent. Yeah, me too. This is my superpower. Yes, screwing up and making it funny. All right, I'm going to hit stop. I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Xander Sprague, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Beer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me in, Jeff. Hey, no problem. I appreciate you being here. Okay, so you are Xander Sprague and you're at Xander Sprague and that's Sprague, S-P-R-A-G-U-E. Dot com. So talk a little bit about what you're most excited about your business today. I am most excited, Jeff, because I've got a book coming out on February 9th. It's called wow, awesome. Epic Begins with One Step Forward, How to Plan, Achieve, and Enjoy the Journey. And it, it, it is an, if I could be braggy for a moment, Jeff, please. Braggy it's a really braggy. great book. It's a book to help people go out and really grab those epic dreams that, that you have. And um, I, I believe that all of us have epic things that we want to do. Now, that could be anything from going back to school to uh, traveling to that dream country that you've always wanted to go to. Or perhaps it's something a little more at home that you want to uh, change your career you want to change the way you eat or you want to exercise more or like I did many years ago, decide to run a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Whatever Epic means to you. <clears throat> Absolutely. That sounds like fun. I, I think I, I need something like that because I'm getting ready to quit my job again, again, again. <laughs> and my, my wife and I have vague plans to travel air quotes, right? But I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep podcasting for sure. Right. But I think I'm going to need stuff to do. Right. I'm, I'm, you know, just like just traveling and screwing around. I tried that already. It's kind of boring. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think, I think if we, if we kind of have some purpose, yeah, it, it's, it's much easier if we have a, a destination, um, then right. it, it's so much better. And, and 
meanwhile, enjoy the journey while, while, while you're getting there. And as you're getting close, perhaps you decide once I get there, here's where I want to go next. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, enjoy the ride. I like that. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. It's a, it's a good life lesson because, you know, we all know where we're going. There's an end. (laughs) There's there's no rush to get there. (laughs) Okay. Absolutely not. (laughs) Right. Okay. So let us, this is Vroom Vroom Veer. So that means we have to uh, take a trip in through memory lane. So where did you grow up? Talk a little bit about what childhood was like for Xander Sprague? Well, childhood was, I gotta say, I had a good childhood. I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts called Sherbin, which okay. is 18 miles southwest of Boston, very gotcha. bucolic. Um, I grew up on a tree farm. Tree farm, okay, that's fun. And uh, so we, we, we had uh, 18 acres of land. Wow, that's um, a lot of land. My parents built the house in 1968. It was all electric. By the mid-70s, that was not your best choice. Okay. <laughs> so, right. So we, okay. we, we ended up putting in a wood-burning stove, and we had all this. this Free fuel. You know, f- yeah. Right. Um, and my parents had free labor to stack that wood and then mm. bring it, you know, every other week. Stack it up like cordwood. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I'm I know. telling you. I, <laughs> Me too. I, I had a uh, spring break. I always had the pleasure of duping one of my friends uh, into helping me stack seven cords of wood. Lovely. Yeah, that, that was always fun. They, funny, they only wanted to do that once, even though they got paid. Um, my, my dad and brother and I did that. Uh, my dad went through this phase. I, I guess it was like around when I hit sixth grade-ish. He put a wood-burning yeah. stove in the living room. And yeah. so every year he bought like a cord or two of wood that was pre-split. So then we had to, we had to stack it up in the backyard. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I'm miss right it. I'm, I actually miss it now because they, they sold that house and they took out the fireplace, but I miss that wood burn smell, you know, that smoke smell. Yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, it was, it was kind of cool when I was it's growing up, cool. my dad was, was a uh, state legislator. Oh, Massachusetts. Wow. Okay. So from a young age, I was, uh, I was out helping him campaign. I was, I remember wow. uh, in 1977, I was standing uh, Saturday morning, standing in a dump, town dump, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, asking people to vote for my dad. And it's, it's windy and blustery and it smells like a dump yeah. and you know, people are coming to <laughs> drop smell. Everyone knows. And I'm like, Hey, when you get done emptying that, can I hand you a thing? And would you vote for my dad? Wow. Um, That's great. That's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm remembering that smell. It's different than I, I had a, a job as a kid at a grocery store. And the worst smell I think I ever smelled was the dump. No, the, uh, what do they call those? Yeah, I guess it's a dumpster. Yeah. Behind the uh, produce department. Uh, Yes. (laughs) That is a whole lot of uh, fermentation going on in there. Uh, That's, yeah. (laughs) That brings a, that brings, there's a certain piquant to to, to that, that, that although you never want to smell it again, you will always remember that. It was like sweet, sickly garbage. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what were you like in high school? What was high school like for you? High school was, uh, 
Well, you know, I think I, I was somewhat that awkward teenager, but I was okay. uh, I was a preppy to to the T. I loved. I still like being a preppy. It's good. I think it's <laughs> okay. a good look. So. I am trying to evolve my look. Uh, did you have like uh, the uh, the turned up collar? I, the I did shirt? have the turned up collar. <laughs> I, I, Great. I, you know, That's a good look. I, like I had the, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but there, I, I was seen in public with the, you know, with, with, with the sweater like over my shoulder. Oh, the, wow. So you, you were, know, I mean, you were asking you, all those 80s films <clears throat> yep. where they're making fun of the preppies. I'm like, oh, they're dressed well. Yes. Um, yeah. So Z- Xander was, was hanging out with Muffy and you were going to the cl- the club. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Good picture. And I actually I actually to this day have a friend whose name is Muffy, so it's it, it, oh, is, wow. it is hilarious. <laughs> um, but you don't so, sound like Thurston Howell the 3rd, so that's good. Where's my yacht? I I I went I was fortunate. I went to boarding school. So I learned a lot about, you know, um, time management and like how to study, which I think has served me really well throughout my whole life. Okay. Um, how to create structure to, to get stuff done. And, and later on, I'll I'll tell you how, how that all came into play and in a later part of my life and career. So, right. Right. Well, I, I think, uh, kids that go to boarding school, it's got to be kind of scary to begin with, right? You're feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm going away from home. And how old were you? Well, I went, uh, I went off when I was, uh, 13. Okay. All right. That's not too bad. Actually started at one school, Avon Old Farms down in Avon, Connecticut. And, um, that really wasn't a great fit for me. So I, I, uh, then transferred up to, a. uh, school called Dublin School in Dublin, New Hampshire, which is the highest elevated town in all of New England, home to Mount Monadnock, the most climbed mountain in the world. It used to be second most to Mount Fuji, but they put a road on Mount Fuji so it doesn't count. <laughs> so Mount Monadnock is the most climbed mountain in the world. Also the home to Yankee Magazine and the Old Farmer's Almanac, which you may have heard of. I've heard of that. At some point. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, there we go. I've just hyped Dublin, your claim the fame, <laughs> Dublin, New Hampshire. <laughs> but that I was going to say that's not too bad. I think I could handle going off and leaving home when I was 13, 14, somewhere that age. But if I were yeah. like really young, it would be probably pretty scary. Yeah, but de- it, definitely. And look, right. it was it was really hard when I first went off. It was it, it was hard. I was prepared, but then it is kind of scary. It's just and, lonely. And I have to say yeah. that. that you know, at Avon, it was a all boys school. Um, so I'm it sorry. Was really, kind of like uh, Lord <laughs> of the Fly. No, I, I chose it. it okay. Was like a little Lord of the Flies at time, and right. Um, a very uh, kind of Joe Jock school. And although I I have been an athlete my whole life, I certainly not the top athlete. So, right. Right. You know, there were you know there were challenges there, um, <clears throat> but nothing nothing too bad. Okay. Gotcha. Still, uh, I think it uh, it probably is a good thing in the end because we all have to do that eventually. So 
Imagine yeah. me, I'm like 18, and the first time I left home, I went to basic training for the Air Force. Yeah. I was shell shocked. <laughs> I'm sure. I think I'm I'm still recovering, to be honest with you. So you got you got shell shocked in a much lighter kind of environment, I think. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, all right. So you finish your boarding school and you're off to college. Where were you? Where did you go to school for college? I went to Pitzer College in Claremont, California. I was most definitely like my criteria was it needed to be ordered by the uh, Atlantic Pacific or Gulf of Mexico. I wanted to be close to water and it couldn't snow. Ah, I was tired of snow. I'm with you. I I can share that. uh, I'm going to jump. I'm going (laughs) to jump back to to boarding school for one second. Sure, go for it. I really can make this claim, which is uh, Dublin being the highest elevated town. It snowed a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Senior year, I was in a dorm where I was just on the edge of campus, and I did have to walk uphill to school through six feet of snow. Wow. Okay. like the joke we make about our grandparents going, well, I had to walk uphill. I actually had to do that. Yeah. Oh, so. I, yeah. So good for you. I mean, that that's probably, you know, as they old people say, is character building. But yeah, uh, I'm with you. I grew up in snow in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So there's yeah, uh, the, the UP, only. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have elevation. Thank God. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I walked everywhere in the snow, um, snow, not fun. And, you know, nope. I was the youngest of three siblings. So you add snow there, you know, and there's, you know, face washes and the getting what, pushed in the snow. Banks you get pushed lot. in yeah. the snow banks. They put like snow in your pants, you know, the, the frozen wedgie, all of uh-huh. those, all of those really fun things that you get with snow. It yes. makes childhood even more fun. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually had to. I had to shovel my way to get out of out of the 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 wow. the, the dorm. And we'd open the door right. and you'd be like, "There's a shovel inside. Just shovel your way out to walk uphill yeah. through six feet of snow." <laughs> yeah. So when I when I joined the military, I was like you. I want to. I never want to deal with this ever again. And of course, I did. You know, I I ended up living in Japan twice, and about the same. Uh, the, around the 45th parallel, so about yeah. the same amount of snow. Um, yeah. But uh, it wasn't as bad because there was skiing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so you go off to school. Okay. And now you're in California. Okay. What is, what did what what did you study? And uh, I actually talk a little bit about just getting away from snow and sunshine. <laughs> well, I, okay. So you know, I mean, it was awesome that it it uh, of course being young and dumb. Right. I'm like, well, I'm in Southern California. It's going to be sunny and 75 all the time. Well, that's San Diego, not the LA area where it does right. actually get cold. And that's in, in air quotes, air quotes there yeah, folks, quotes because cold, cold in, in LA means that it's like 50 degrees. Right. And you would think that, uh, those, those Californians that it was below like 50 below zero. They were, <laughs> Pretty much. They're all bound up. I mean, come on. When it gets, when it's 70 degrees, they, they've got the, the parkas on and pulling out the long underwear. And I'm like, really? It's really? still 70 degrees. Um, but it was, um, it was awesome. I discovered right. In-N-Out Burger, the best burger in the world. Oh okay. my gosh, I love that. Really? Okay. Um, 
<clears throat> and uh, I studied um, psychology and history. Okay. And nice. Um, I I was actually really crafty. I, I knew I was going to major in psychology. Really love psychology. Um, kept taking all these interesting courses in uh, history. By um, middle of my sophomore year, I'd already minored in history, and I'm like, well, why don't I major in it? And I actually was kind of strategic in this, Jeff, okay. because I wanted to go do a semester abroad, and I always wanted to go to Australia. Wow. Oh, fun. And, but we didn't have a program that went to Australia, <clears throat> and I had to have a, I had to have a reason um, to justify applying to another uh, exchange program to be able to go. Okay. Now, one, of the, one of the requirements for um, a history major was you had to take at least one course in three different continents. Now, most people did uh, Americas, uh, Europe, and Asia. Okay. I made the argument and, and was successful. I said, well, my requirement for my major is to take a course in another, another continent. I want to take Australian history. Oh, darn, you don't offer it. You're going to have to let me go to Australia. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. I got to go to Australia. Awesome. And for a semester, <laughs> I studied, uh, I did some psychology, but I, more interestingly, I did a course in um, settler history. Okay. And a course in Aboriginal history. Oh, nice. Wow. Really fascinating. It was great. Right. Learned so much, uh, had uh, so much fun and um, got to, after I was there, I traveled around. I went to New Zealand and went bungee jumping. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It was, it, it was so much fun. I've never been. So my wife has been to Australia. I don't think she went to New Zealand. My, my wife is like the person that, always brags about she's been everywhere we go she's been there before right. <laughs> and uh and and i'm always jealous so i haven't been to australia yet she's already been there so when we get there she'll be my tour guide exactly <laughs> I, it, it, look Australia's beautiful mm. new zealand is really as spectacular as right the, the movies yeah see. right it really is it's Thank you, Peter Jackson, for showing us how beautiful New Zealand is. <laughs> Absolutely. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I want to go. I want to go to both. I want to go everywhere. I know. I can't wait. Uh, okay. So, all right. So what was your first job out of college? It sounded like you kind of had psychology in mind, but you ended up working in corporate for a while. For I, a while. I, I did. Uh, uh, funny thing about the whole psychology is I majored in that and then didn't really do diddly squat with it for 22 years, but we'll, 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 get, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, my first job out of college, I worked at the front desk of a big hotel in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Okay. Front yeah. desk. All right. So yeah. you're just signing people in and giving them room keys. I was, yeah, absolutely. And I was, uh, having to wear a, a polyester wool blend jacket. Um, <laughs> As a preppy, it was it, that, that that was really hard. Um, right. If we ever had a big earthquake, there was just one way out of the front desk and it was past the gas main. And I was afraid that that if we had a big earthquake, I'd be going by that would explode. I'd catch on fire. That polyester wool jacket would be seared on me, and then there would have had to been a a uh, it, it's such a shameful shameful death. That, <laughs> Um, my parents, it'd have to be a short circuit TV because they couldn't be in the same room because of the embarrassment of the polyester. Right, right. I get it. 
you die twice. You die once in in real world, and then twice of shame for polyester. I get it. (laughs) So I I saw on your stuff that you worked briefly, or I I don't even know if it was briefly, but you worked at Intel Corporation. I did. I had a buddy. Actually, I had two friends that worked for Intel. Um, and this is the Intel that uh, makes CPUs, like uh, the Absolutely. computer chips. Absolutely, Intel yeah. inside. Right, right. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, so when I watched my two buddies, um, Intel of all corporations or many corporations, it seemed very like the military to me, very hierarchical. Very much so. Okay. And, and um, you know, my, my time at uh, Intel came uh, kind of – I mean, I, I had other jobs. I, I lived in San Francisco. I moved back to Boston for, for six years. Okay. I worked at Fidelity Investments. Oh, nice. Um, I, really funny story about working at Fidelity. Um, I'm, uh, you might have seen, I'm, I'm an enthusiastic person. Yes. And I have belief that I can do anything I set my mind to. Okay. So, so somehow I got hired to work on the Unix help desk on the fixed income trading floor. And in the interview, I, I, like, I had no idea what Unix was. <laughs> so I, okay. was asked, I was asked if, if I knew what Unix was. And my honest to God, straight face answer was, is it two emasculated men from Rome? I thought it was the plural of eunuch. Uh, <laughs> and I got hired. That's great. <laughs> so here I am working on. You made them laugh, right? The help desk, and I don't even know. I, I had six months of Unix for dummies and these other books. Right, right. I'd be pouring through. And for people who, who don't know what Unix is, it, it's a programming code. Um, and it's very powerful, but it's all command line driven. Yes, there's no which means that you have to type really. out these yes. really long, you know, C colon slash yes TMP slash, and you have to write everything out. It's super powerful, but I basically had to learn a whole programming language uh, with like a, a, a fire hose to be able <laughs> to do my job. But you did it. I somehow did it, and <clears throat> then I went on. And was uh, a quality assurance engineer. I was at one point a Java developer, which, oh my gosh, such the wrong job for me. (laughs) I worked incredibly hard to be mediocre. Right, right. And that's why I stopped doing it because I was like, I want more out of my life than just being mediocre. Well, I I could say like, I think... Oh, I have to scratch my brain cells here for a sec. Somewhere, I want to say either middle school or high school, I played around with uh, basic programming. Yep. And and <clears throat> we had fun with that. Me and my friends, my nerd friends, we made like uh, a very, very um, text-based version of Facebook we were like, yeah. uh, we, we would like made a database of all the girls in our, in, in our school. And then we all rated them. Yeah. <laughs> Niceness, <course>. prettiness. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and going through school, I did, you know, I somehow, you know, it was like, oh, well, I'll do Turbo, Turbo Pascal, which was like you're kind of making drawings and, okay. and, and stuff like that. 
So, but I just, my brain doesn't work, work that way. I think in all of our careers, there are the jobs that although we could do are just, our brains don't think the same way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think people who do computer science, do programming and stuff, their brain works different than mine. Right. I'm all about the relationship. What I, I mean, it, it's, I'm a very outgoing person. Like right. on the Myers-Briggs, I'm so far on the extrovert that they don't even have a rating for me. <laughs> and so when right. I would get into a problem, I'd go over to, to one of my colleagues and be like, hey, you know, how was your weekend or whatever? And, and, and they're like, uh, why are you talking to me? I know exactly what you mean. I felt the same way. It was like, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I learned what programming it is. And, you know, I was having fun when we were doing it with, you know, Mountain Dew and Doritos and, you know, four other guys, right? Sure. Right? That was fun. <laughs> but just doing it like all alone in a basement when, you know, uh, and then leave me alone and don't talk to me and I come come and go like for a 12-hour shift and interact with absolutely no one, that would yeah. kill me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. So, yes. so you, you asked me about Intel. Uh, for 20 years, I did. Uh, I was a technical instructor. I, I worked for various oh, well, software fun. companies, right. uh, taught people how to use software because I um, understand I have the ability to quickly learn technology and I'm good at teaching people technical things. Uh, right. When I was much younger, I spent six years as a sailing instructor. And, oh, wow. Okay. And so it was so, so you're just a good I, teacher, trainer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of my natural aptitudes is I'm interested. I want to share, share knowledge and information. And I seem to have a knack for being able to explain stuff to people in ways that they can understand it. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That works. So, so I did, I worked at, at Intel for five years. Uh, I worked doing, um, uh, helping to, um, get, get Intel technology taught. Uh, I spent a lot of time actually working, um, to help universities to change their computer science curriculum to be teaching parallel programming. Because Intel, like every other and all the other major chip manufacturers, started coming out with multi-core machines, right? Meaning right, right, multiple right. Um, CPUs, right? Brains that can be used, right? But the problem was all of the uh, programming that was being taught is serial programming, and, and to mm. really make this uh, simple for people to understand, serial programming. Imagine a little. Uh, store, a bodega, uh, a convenience store. Mm -hmm. It's got one checkout line to start off with. Right. So whether you have one item or 20 items, everyone's got to go through in the order in line. Right. Now. That's serial. That's serial. Now, when you have multi-core, now you have multiple checkout lines. Right. So you don't have, if I only have uh, a gallon of milk, I can go through the express line. Right. And you, Jeff, with your 20 items will go through another line. Right. Now imagine you have those three other, there's total of four cash, cash registers. Right. But you only know how to put people through one line. So you have three cash registers that are not being used. Right. Because you don't have, that's basically, I was trying to help 
universities change their curriculum to teach parallel programming. Right. Oh, that's well, the nice. Fun, now, the funny thing was, um, what I found was these professors who were so smart and, and, and so good, um, although in you know undergrad and graduate school, they had learned parallel programming, they never had to do it. It's kind of like when I took geometry. Although I've taken geometry, I couldn't do geometry to save my life. Right. I don't apply it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, yes, I took it. But it's not applicable to my life, so I don't really hold on to that knowledge. Right, right, totally. About so the, these yeah. th- these poor professors were having to go back, you know, like, oh my god, I've been out of school fifteen years now. I have to go try and figure out how to teach this. And parallel programming is not—it's a very, very complex. I don't want to make it sound so easy. It's a very—it's super complex, especially when you've been programming serial your whole life. It's almost like you have to start over. It's like you're working from scratch now because well, you can and, start and, and, doing so much more stuff. Right. And, and, and it is absolutely one of those things that it's not just, oh, I now can execute. You have to, the complexity of writing the, the program gets so much harder because now you're like, okay, well, is there a dependency? Does right. A have a dependency on B? Right. If it doesn't, can I process B, but is that going to you know mess up E or D or whatever? Right. How right. quickly right. can all of that? Now, it's interesting because there are um, companies that were um, really into utilizing all those courts. Uh, financial services industries have billions of data points that they have to calculate every single night to be able to figure out what mutual funds right. are priced at, values are, what stocks, you know, <clears throat> predictions, stuff like that. Uh, gaming companies all over right. the multi-core because now they can, they're like, hey, we will write our rendering for, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the waving of the palm trees and we'll just write that whole thing and tell it to use core number two. And then your movement will be here in the shading. And they got that. Yeah. But there were all these servers that were coming out with six cores, eight cores, whatever. Right. And forever. And they're all running. Yeah. They were all only using one. So right. it's kind of like having a six cylinder car, but only, only <laughs> using that one cylinder. <laughs> It's not running as efficiently yeah. as it could, and you're not getting the power. Right, and then Intel, as the company, is very motivated to make sure that the hardware that they make is actually utilized because for Absol- years it wasn't. Right, so Abs- absolutely, right. Right. and and it was it was fascinating to work there. Um, it, it very fast paced environment. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my time was spent trying to explain to my hires up that uh, the change they were looking for, change in academics is glacial. Right, yes. And Intel was like, well, you've been at this for six months. Why haven't they changed it? Um, <laughs> that's not quite the way that yeah. this one's going to run. Right, right. It, it's definitely, it's because you're, you're not working on hardware, you're working on squishy brains. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, uh, at that point, like, 40 plus years of entrenched learning. Correct. Yes. It doesn't. So they all had to unlearn what they have learned. They did. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. So let's move on. So at what point, I I guess it's after those 20 years, then you decide to make a big veer 
and start using that psychology degree, right? I did. Yeah. Now, so here's what happened after getting laid off for the umpteenth time. Right. Okay. From a from Corporate a job. you know a, a startup company. Um, okay. gotcha. I, I, it always it always killed me that as a technical instructor, I was the last hired, the first fired, and the least understood. Although the most valuable, one of the most valuable employees, because I was a zero sum employee, Jeff. Okay. Think about this. Um, I, I would teach uh, multi-day courses, three, three, four days, and people were paying about three thousand uh, uh, dollars a person, person. to, to yeah. come and take those courses. Um, I'd have on average uh, ten people in a class, so that's thirty thousand dollars a class. I run that, you know, twice a month, whatever. Um, you take all of my salary, benefits, everything. By if we start in January, by about end of April, maybe middle of May, depending on how busy I've been at the beginning <clears> of the year, you paid I'd for already yes. brought in all of all of like everything it costs to have me as an employee has been covered. Has been covered. Now the yeah. rest of it, and that's why I said I'm a zero sum employee. I'm actually covering what it costs to hire me, and then I'm making you money. I'm <clears> just a cash cow. <laughs> But they didn't get that. Right. <laughs> so after after I got after I got uh you know after I got laid off for in and honestly like like the, the fifth time. Okay. And, um I kind of had one of those those epiphany moments where I'm like, why am I learning other people's stuff when I have stuff my of my own that I want to teach? Mm. And okay. Um and I, I, I went off and I, I, I love my mom. She's 81 years old. I've been her tech support for 30 plus years. Right. And um, the woman still can't put an attachment on an email, even sure. though I've met her. And I actually created, I created a course to teach her the basics of how to use a, uh, uh, how, how, how to use software. Okay. Your basic, your basic computer, like, right. like how, how to use this. Cause I kept telling her to take a course. Yeah. And, um, I was like, well, she's never going to do it unless I, unless I do it. So I made a course. I taught people 50 plus how, how to use their computers for a nice. few years. I like it. Um, and that was sort of in between. That was like just before Intel. I did that for a while, but then okay. I went back to the corporate world cause I had family and stuff and needed a, you know, firm thing. But I decided when I got, laid off for the umpteenth time that I, I wanted to teach my own stuff. Okay. That stuff that I really wanted to do was uh, um, uh, go out and help um, sibling survivors. That's people who have lost a brother or sister. Right. And I wanted to try and raise awareness for, for siblings. And so I did that. Mm. And that was going, I mean, that, that was going well. Um, but I kept having parents come up and say to me, hey, um, I lost a, a son or daughter, uh, but I have other children and I never see them grieve. So, you know, mm, what's right. up with that? Right, uh, right. And, and then um, so I wrote a book about that. That's coming out in uh, late 2022. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, I've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> and and um but I kept hearing from uh, other sibling survivors that they had gone to therapy, but the therapist didn't understand the issues that as a sibling survivor that we're facing. And so they didn't find therapy helpful, but they needed therapy. 
Right. Um, and so here comes that big beer. Mm. And I, I was like, well, clearly I keep hearing this. So it's something that I need to do something about. But in order to do it, I actually need to be a licensed mental health professional. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So at 45, I went to, I went to graduate school. Okay. So that 22 years that I referenced earlier, <laughs> right. I hadn't used my psych. I mean, I used my psychology, but I hadn't really focused in on it. I always sure. thought when I got out of college, I'd do counseling. And here I am 22 years later in school, in graduate school. Mm. I went through graduate school. Okay. Graduated. Uh, in California, you need 3,000 hours of intern experience wow. before you're allowed to take the exam. My goodness. I finish my hours in February of 2020. I'm all excited. I'm going to go take the exam. And then March comes and we have a pandemic. <laughs> right. Right when all you're about the to launch. That I, yes. made, I can't get licensed. I can't go out and speak. I can't mm. book any venues. Right. What the heck am I going to do here, Jeff? Right. Like Yikes. everything that I planned, all of a sudden, there was a huge roadblock in front of me. And so as I was sitting in my apartment, which I didn't really like, <laughs> and frankly was kind of eating my way through the pandemic. Right. <laughs> I had this epiphany. Okay. That epic begins with one step forward. Sure. And I'm like, that is so true. Uh, I referenced, like, if you want to run a marathon, I've actually uh, I'm not actively running right now. Right. That much, <laughs> but I have run 10 halves, four fulls, and a 50K ultra. Oh, my goodness. One of those, one of those marathons I did, I was fortunate that my last marathon was the 2014 Boston Marathon. Wow. Now, let me be clear. I got in on a sponsor exemption. I did not qualify. <laughs> I want to be clear. You see a picture of me. There's no way that I'm running like a qualifier. Okay. So, and in fact, I one of my jokes is I, I completed the course. I have my Boston medal. I'm really, really excited about that. Very proud. Beyond a, a, bu a bucket, that was like holy grail moment for me when I crossed that finish line and, mm. and they put that medal around my neck. Um, so you weren't going uh, for time. You were going for finisher. Finisher. I was going for <laughs> right. finisher. And in fact, gotcha. I found out that I am not faster than an 85-year-old woman. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Hey. We're all where we're at, right? That's absolutely <laughs> finisher's a finisher. You finisher's I mean? a finisher. They don't they don't put a, a number on those. They just say, "Hey, you finished." Well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, like like that old joke. What do you call uh, the person who graduates last in their medical school class? Doctor. Doctor. Yes, correct. <laughs> and they don't put your GPA on your diploma, so it's all no. good. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about, so you talked a little bit about you, you wrote and worked sibling grief. We don't have yeah. a whole lot of time left, but let's just oh, good. talk a little bit about like what that was like for you going through. So how did, when, how did your okay, sister so, die? And, and all right. It, it actually was uh, 25 years ago yesterday. Oh my goodness. Uh, that, that my yeah. sister was murdered in her apartment in Chicago. Uh, oh she goodness. was a wow. second year law student at John Marshall Law School um, and a maintenance worker who had spent eight of the 
10 prior years in Joliet State Prison at a four-page rap sheet uh, to the best of our, what we could put together, let himself in to do a petty theft. Uh, it was exam period. My sister happened to be there. Most times she had left her apartment by seven in the morning to go to law school, but she didn't have an exam that morning. Uh, they surprised each other. He strangled her, jumped out her fourth floor window to a second floor roof where he broke his foot. The police had him. There was never a question of who did this. Right. Ten days later, uh, he hung himself in the Cook County prison, sparing my family what would have been a very public trial. Because at the time, my father was a sitting district court judge in Massachusetts. So I'm sure you can imagine the media kind of was all over. They were about uh, to. Judge's daughter gets killed by ex-convict. Yeah. Kind of plays into what is salacious and stuff. And so it it would have been a very public trial, which Mm. obviously been very challenging for my my mom, my dad, myself, and my younger sister. In a lot Uh, of ways, it would have been like so much worse. I mean, a lot, a lot. lot. I mean, just the the media in and of itself, you know, in in the wrong way. And then there's, because my father was a judge, I, Mm. I really had a front row seat to understand the, um, vagaries and how the judicial system doesn't always work the way that that we might hope wish and hope right. hope that it would right. work. It's not, and I'm not saying that the judicial well, system doesn't work, but but there it's are not perfect. There are countless examples where we're surprised that someone you're like, wow, there seemed to be a lot of evidence, and I'm not clear why that person right, right, right. or there seems to be a lack of evidence and I'm not sure how that person got a conviction. It seemed, you know, there's, we could, we could have a whole podcast just on that. Uh, we, we could, but we I could. don't really want to go down that. <laughs> we, rabbit hole. I know. I know. I know. I'm to just like sort of, I get it. Over. But, you're right. But anyway. yeah, I, let's say you're fortunate that it played out as it did, because I, my I, next I, question was, was this a media event? And it, I think it would have been, and it was at first. Right. I mean, it would have been. It, it, it was. And I mean, my your, father. Your and life I would to, have been much different after that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, so after that happened, uh, I, I discovered that there was really a lack of resources for siblings. Yeah, I bet. That and makes so sense. So I wrote too. a book. Because people think about, like, uh, you know, it's got to be horrific, obviously, for your mom and dad. Um, yeah. but we just don't hear the stories from brother, sister. Well, we don't. My, 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 my experience, Jeff was I, I was living in Boston. Lots of people knew my parents. I'd run into people who knew, who knew me and my parents and they'd say, Oh my gosh, how are your mom and dad doing? Logical question. But right. no one asked how I was. Right. And here's, here's some interesting facts. Our longest relationships in our life are with our siblings. It's not our parents, it's not our spouse, it's our siblings. Makes sense. Our siblings know us better than we know ourselves. And as my friend, Dr. Heidi Horsley says all the time, when you lose a sibling, you not only lose your past and your present, but you lose your future. Right. Because 
we all understand that 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 we're going to die. Some of us are on our yachts on the River Denial a little more about when that may happen, but that's right. okay. That's a totally different podcast, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> it it reasonably, I, I think about my my younger sister, and that will it, it's sort of acceptable to for for us to be in the they may die zone when we're you know 75 80 whatever we, we kind of all you expect logically that. understand right. that that's when that's going to happen mm. i was 28 my sister lucy was 30 uh, that wasn't uh, not on your radar no it wasn't right and it's uh it's also you know the crime element the murder element the it's like a uh it's like a, it's even different than a car accident, you know, it's just so sudden, you don't like, so you're kind of behind in your, in your processing, you know, your grief process for like, say like she had cancer, right? It, you start grieving when you know, right? She has cancer and then you have this other time in between before the death, you, right? But you, you didn't, you, you, you didn't you get do. that. Yeah. You do. Now it's interesting that they, you should say that, Jeff, because I actually, uh, one of my best friends, his mom um, had breast cancer. Unfortunately, she, she lost that that battle. But I was having a lunch with him and we were talking about sort of the pros and cons of how Lucy died and his mom. Right. And and um, I'd like to share this with my audiences because I think it's, it's important. Um, you're right. When someone has cancer, you have time, you start to grieve, you, right. you start to accept it. You're but planning. It's hard because you are watching this person go down and you know what's going to happen. You just don't know when, and, and there's mm. a certain amount of stress. So the good is you can tell that person goodbye and that you love them and right. kind of resolve anything, but you have this long kind of the long, slow goodbye. Right. Uh, whereas what happened with me, a car accident, a murder, um, an overdose, something like that. Right. It's tremendous. Um, you don't, you don't have that, that chance to say goodbye. You don't have, there's, there's that side. That's, that's the con side, but the good side is you don't watch them suffer. They're, right. It's just sort of, it's over it's, already. It's, right. It's over. The bandaid um, has been ripped off of your heart. All I want. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And yes. I'm not saying that either one is, no. is better. Or it's worse. not like you get to pick. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah it, we're know. just, we're just like, like, uh, okay, things happened and, and they're different. You know, that's all yeah. we're doing is like, okay. So it's in, one interesting question that always comes to mind for me is when you go through grief, I've never really gone through grief with a real personal loss. Um, but I've, I've looked at it, you know, I've uh, read some books and watched movies. There's a lot of surprising emotions that are in the grieving process. So what was the most surprising emotion for you while you were grieving? Um, it's okay. Take your time. No, no, I, I guess I, I guess what it was is this realization that when someone dies, we, we tend to canonize them. Understood. And, yep. And, like, and, and, and suddenly and, they're and, like a, a, they did no wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and I guess that surprising emotion was where I, I said, No, Lucy was a human, she was human. human she had right. faults. Yep. And and feeling guilty about sharing um Her. some of the bad stories or the where she messed up or whatever. Right. 
Um, but that I think is so important to remember this person in all like with all with Full all fidelity. Of yeah. Works yeah, and all with all of that. I think mm. um we don't need to canonize them. No, right. we don't need to tear them down. But I think um my family sharing stories about you know the good and the bad um makes a much fuller picture and memory for this person versus we only talk about the good things and we somehow <laughs> conveniently forget. I think that, that at times it's more healthy. My older sister. Mm. She was really mean to me. Sure. She was human. And you Absolutely. were siblings. And you were siblings. You know, it, it's like suddenly the, uh, they get the, the glow of gone. They get the glow of gone. It's like, oh, they're talking. Yeah, exactly. They're beatified and they're not. Right. So I think sort of that surprising thing was like that guilt I felt of going, well, wait a minute. I, I want to share this story because right. it's a funny story, but it doesn't paint her in the best light. Understood. I can see where like uh, mom and dad would probably have, you know, that would be painful for them. I get it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you, you, you want to just solely Pollyanna over the memory. Right. Right. So, so one of the things I, I want to share about not only my grief journey, but like my family's grief journey sure. is um, we, um, we had a, a settlement with the building she lived in because uh, it was a, you know, they shouldn't have hired this guy and they didn't do the background check, et cetera, et right. cetera. Okay. Um, but what we did is we, we um, started a charitable uh, foundation in Lucy's name and for the past 25 years have done uh, all kinds of sponsored, all kinds of great nonprofits Um doing work in, you know, that we think Lucy would like. One of the big things we've done is um, we give a uh, grant to a graduating attorney who's going into public service wow. to help nice. pay down their student loan, um, to encourage them to go into public service because in one of those life is really funny the way it works kind of thing. Mm. In uh, early November of 1996, uh, my parents and I were coming back from a trip uh, overseas. And when we got to the U.S., my dad noticed uh, in a USA Today that uh, American Airlines was having a special that you could fly from Boston to Chicago round trip for like 80 bucks, as long as you left on Thanksgiving morning and flew back by the last flight on Friday. My parents on a whim decided to go have lunch with Lucy, which they did. Oh, wow. While they were at the lunch, my dad said, you know, okay, your second year, what kind of law do you think you want to go into? And she's like, well, I'd like to either be a public defender or like a DA. Uh, but the problem is those don't pay a lot. And I have student loans. My dad said, yeah, I get that. I see that all the time in my, uh, in my courtroom. That was 10 days before she was murdered. So wow, really kind of, you know, interesting. So, so we yeah. created this, we have like 25 Sprague scholars who've done incredible work you know, with our support. But my whole point there is not to in any way pump up my family, but to say our choice has been to celebrate the rainbow that was Lucy's life yeah. by doing good things. And I can tell you, Jeff, it feels so much better to help out uh, worthy nonprofits um, in Lucy's name than to Think about the dot that was the end of her life and that she isn't here and yeah. stuff like that. Well said, the dot. 
<laughs> Everybody has that dot. It was just a very traumatic dot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't focus on the dot. That could be the the no the rainbow. Look, I mean, Lucy the rainbow is, is so much better. The, yes. It celebrate is so much the life. Better. Yes. Celebrate the life. That's one of the things that that, that, that I talk about in in my book that's right. coming out is you know I mean celebrate the rainbow that was their life when you lose someone mm. or when you or not even just you know, someone dies, but if you, you're, you get fired from your job or relationship ends, mm. celebrate that thing was good. Don't right. forget that. Don't, don't forget the good right. at the end. Yeah. Don't get stuck on the, on the negative. Yeah. 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 Positivity in the face of, you know, grim truth is something that I've been like fascinated by, um, lately, especially with pandemic and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I, I listened to a podcast with Tim Ferriss and yep. they got to this where they were talking about, I can't remember, I think it was an Admiral Stockwell. He was a yep. prisoner of war in Vietnam. Yeah. And they talked about this, this little thing, right? So he was facing very grim truth as a Absolutely. POW, right? And the question to him was like, okay, how do you stay positive, you know? And he was like, the, the optimists were the first to fall, right? The optimists were the guys that were saying, well, we'll be out of here by Christmas, right? Yeah. And they were clinging to that hope. And that was a false hope, right? <laughs> it was like, they had no clue when they were going to get out of there. <laughs> so it, he was like, you have to face it and just say, okay, you know, we have to face the reality is we could all die here. Yeah. And accept that. And then yep. say, let's try not to <laughs> every day. <Yeah. laughs> let's just good plan. Good, right. <laughs> but let's also not say we'll be out of here by Christmas because absolutely there's a part of you that knows that's bullshit. <laughs> absolutely. And then yeah. Christmas will show up and you may or may not be gone. Right. Absolutely. And then, you know, I think like, you know, when people are on these epic journeys, yes, they, you know, uh, I was, uh, I was on a seven-year epic journey to get my my degree and get licensed. Okay, that's a long journey. Yeah, there were ups and downs throughout that. Um, challenges when I was doing counseling, really tough cases and stuff. Where yeah, sadly there wasn't much I you know. Sometimes there wasn't there's much not I, a lot I, you can I, do. I, I could right, do. right. But one of the things that I talk about um, in my book, and it kind of it really applies here, so I'm not just injecting this is what I call the 97 three rule. Okay. Right? Now I believe that 97% of our day is actually really good. And up to 3% is maybe not as good. Okay. But the question is why are we constantly ignoring the 97? So true. Oh and yes. focusing on that 3% that doesn't go right. Right. And, and I came up with this when I was, talking and counseling high school students and I, and I was trying to help them like find the positivity because they're, they're focusing on, on, you know, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. I'm like, yeah, but look at all this great stuff that happened that you're forgetting. Mm. So I asked them that, that, this question, you got a 97 on a math test. How would you feel? Oh my God. I, I'd be ecstatic. That, that would be great. I'm like, would you be complaining about the three, the three points you didn't get? Oh no, gosh, no. I, I'd be so excited. I'm like, exactly. 
Yeah. So why are you stuck on that 3% of your day? <laughs> it's, it's the picnic analogy. So, Jeff, <laughs> okay. If you and I, if you and I went, let's say we, we met, we're going to have a, I don't want to say a picnic, a barbecue. Okay. okay. Six hours. It's sunny. It's beautiful. It rains for two minutes. That's it. Mm. Rest of the day, we, we have a fantastic time, good food, laughing, telling stories, you know, all of that. And then someone says, hey, Jeff, how, how was the barbecue? Oh, my God, it rained. That's um, all you say. <laughs> it, rained, it, rained, it rained for two minutes. So somehow the five hours and 58 minutes that it didn't rain somehow just don't exist. You focus on the And I'm like, why? I know. Why, why? is that? We There's do, so we do have things. a, uh, it seems like we've got a built-in bias for negativity. It seems well, like that is true, but I, it doesn't mean you have to live there. <laughs> no, you don't. You're right. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to jump. So being from New England and actually being able to trace back to, to the, the pilgrims, right? Okay. The Puritans. Um, the Puritans have this really sort of messed up ethos that seems to permeate the rest of the U.S., which is that, uh, especially in New England, that in order for your life to have meaning and for you to get to heaven, you basically have to suffer. You shouldn't really have any, like, wow. There should there shouldn't be a lot of pleasure. Now, perfect. So example meaning of that is, is derived from suffering. Uh, somehow, yes, in, in in this sick way, right? Right. So. <laughs> As a, Red, a lifelong Red Sox fan, 1986, very painful, hard for me to talk about, but Bill Buckner got it. Just pick up the ball and let's win the World Series. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I'm sorry. When, when, when the Red Sox lost the World Series, one strike away from winning the World Series and, and we blow it, I think there was sort of this collective uh, uh, feeling in New England that well, that's the way our life should be. We, we don't get what we want. So when they won in 2004, I was sitting on the couch and um, my ex-wife came in and said, I was married at the time. She goes, I thought you'd be so excited. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to process this. The curse is over. <laughs> right. Like, like I just got something that I had dreamed of my whole entire life. Yeah. And I'm lost. Uh, something, something calamitous has to happen to <laughs> counterbalance it. That is messed up, Jeff. Right. That's so true. I just though. got yes. something I wanted. I'm so excited. And yeah. yet, my first thought is something, something horrible, something horrible is going to, is going to buy, buy uh, uh, offset this because things, right. and, there's and, like and this so universal I, epic scale, right? Of I, exactly. Good and bad, right? So if the Sox and, and, win the series, uh, there's got to be an earthquake tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> and then, I get it. And then I think, but I think that here in the United States, I sort of look at it and say, not as much as in New England, but there is sort of that, that's that three, looking at the 3%, it's that there has to be suffering. Right. And, and I'm like, but no, I mean, I rally against that every day and it's, it's literally in my DNA. And I'm like, no, I will not <laughs> succumb to that. I have to, I, I absolutely, all of us joy and happiness and greatness, epicness in our life mm. is we, we deserve that. And mm. we should, we should pursue that with all we have. 
I uh, I have to as we wrap up, and then we'll talk about how to get in touch with Xander Sprague at xandersprague.com. But one more thing, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. So uh, I want to say Monday I got an email from uh, payroll, and I screwed up my timesheet. Oh. Yeah, I was two hours short. Long story, mm. but I yeah. felt bad. I felt stupid, like I had made a really bad mistake. So sure. I was like, okay, that's okay. You just charged me PTO. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. I have no idea what I did, right? But I felt bad. <laughs> I felt bad for like two or three days. <laughs> Why? I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, the only person you really hurt was yourself. I know. And I've got you all this extra PTO that I'm not using anyway because nobody can go anywhere. <laughs> Exactly. It doesn't matter. It's two hours. (laughs) I just wanted to bring that up because it happens. You know, I don't know why, but we, I think we are, I don't know if it's like genes, genetic, or if it's conditioning, but we all do have that sort of like negativity bias that we all have to work against every day to be, to be, to, to, you know, and I don't want to get, again, I'm a anti-Pollyanna-ist, right? (laughs) Don't be just in denial and like, la, 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 everything's great. You, you have to face the grim, ugly truth and then move on. Right. Yes. But but (laughs) again, acknowledge that, that this isn't going right, that right now is, you know, not good, but also, look around at all of the stuff that actually is going right. Look, you and I woke up this morning. Hey, let's go back to Admiral Stockdale. Stay alive. Right. We we got that right. We got the win. (laughs) Exactly. So far. Everything's everything's gravy after you wake up in a nice cozy bed, right? Exactly. Amen. Hey, this has been a blast. I appreciate you hanging out with me for a little over an hour. It was a lot of fun. So talk Thank about you. how uh, people can best get in touch with Xander Sprague. Well, you know, if you Google me, you'll find me all over the place. Uh, Xander, XanderSprague.com, that's Xander with a Z. Yep. So Z-A-N-D-E-R and then S-P-R-A-G-U-E.com. Got it. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, epic underscore begins. Oh, I like it. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, that's really all you need. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, Xander, this has uh, been a blast. All right. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, you have you. an awesome day. You bet. You too. All right. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.